Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett. After Man United... In a pulsating encounter, drew 2-2 with Leeds. Bit of a disappointing one, Rob, actually. Uh, mixed mixed bag, though, right? Because this was very much a throwback to what we've seen in recent seasons, but also, at times, a little bit of a throwback to how Man United used to be when they were good. Yeah, very much so. Good morning, Scott, and good morning to our audience. Um, yeah, overall, just a bit weird, wasn't it? Like, old habits dying hard take Casemiro out, see the chasm of problems, but also with Ericsson out the team. So I think Eric Ten Hag said after the game, and he kind of corrected himself very, very quickly. He went, yeah, happy with the result, but not happy. I'm not happy with that result. I'm not happy with that performance. And I think that that's kind of how we all felt. I think overall, you probably should have won this game. But the two goals, both goals were little bit of a disaster in terms of your on-ball offering, what you should be doing on the ball. But Man United are weak at that. It points towards the future of how you need to fix that. But this is a kind of game where I think on another day of the week, you probably win it pretty comfortably with your full strength team. I think if you had Casemiro and Eriksen in there, there's absolutely no way Leeds get the traction in the game that they wanted. There's probably very little doubt they wouldn't score those two goals. So United on the day, I think I think two all was an all right result, even though, of course, in this title challenge, Scott, you want Man United to be winning games against Leeds United at home. Yeah, makes the, uh, the return game, which happens on Sunday at Ellen Road. Uh, Perhaps a little bit more important. I think United do now need to go and win that. Uh, I think four points from the two games would have been not the worst case scenario, but I think it's the absolute minimum anyone would have expected. Although I think United were expected to win both games. But obviously, since we last did a podcast, Leeds have sacked their manager. So I think that changed uh, changed the way. We'll talk about this in it. We'll talk about this in a second. I'll just uh, do the the housekeeping here. Uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, we're on. If you'd like to subscribe to The Promised Land, you can catch us usually twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays, but this week we're doing Monday, Thursday because of United's calendar and other things going on. We're also on YouTube. Head over to the channel, like, subscribe, join the community with us and leave a comment as well. The link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform. And uh, on Twitter, you can find us too, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promised Land MU for the show. We'll talk later about Qatar, uh, because that is in the news this week. Uh, there is interest in the Manchester United takeover from uh, people in Qatar, funds from Qatar. We'll talk about, uh, you know, we'll unpack this. I, I suppose un- unpacking is the way to uh, to phrase it. Rob will get into it in a little bit more depth later in the show. We'll also talk about Man City's charges briefly, because that has happened since uh, we last recorded as well. What could that mean for Man United? Uh, and this kind of thing is is it's quite interesting. Uh, happened on Monday, and potentially could blow the Premier League apart, or at least blow Man City apart if uh, City are found guilty. 
allegedly. Anyway, this is these are all alleged offences that they've committed. But let's go back to Leeds. Um, so, obviously, Rob, you mentioned there that Casemiro is missing. I tweeted at one one point when Leeds were breaking away with a chasm of space in midfield to run into. I miss you. <laughs> I miss <laughs> miss Casemiro. I think United really did, but. Um, in the circumstances, given they were 2-0 down, given how they defended in the first minutes of both halves and defended in general for most of the night, to be honest, it was a it was a decent point in the end, given where they were in the game. But I think it just it's another reminder, isn't it, that this is quite United are quite fragile when they have injuries to key players that it really changes the dynamic. Yeah, I think United missed Eric's Miro like McFred. But do you know what I mean? I think Ericsson and Casemiro, that combination, which we've talked about a fair bit, haven't we, in terms of like, it's not perfect. You know, Ericsson's not perfect as an eight in that role. But Casemiro, of course, is probably the best number six in the world. But when you have that combination, it allows you to be better on the ball, doesn't it? And I think what we saw last night against Leeds, against a Leeds team who have just got rid of their manager and then played exactly the same tactics that he would have played anyway, because that's what it was yesterday. Jesse Marsh's narrow uh, press at the top end of the pitch with the three, it was nothing really different. It wasn't some kind of masterclass. It was just him doing the same things. But they played it pretty well, didn't they? And Man United were not at their normal standards. So, of course, Casemiro not having him there is something that you just have to deal with. But this show, still shows that there's a lot of deficiencies on the ball for Man United. And this is, I think, where the manager has to somehow find some solutions because he still wants to play quick. He still wants to be brave. He still wants to be aggressive. But these boys have got to be technically better. Simple as that. In the middle of the park, Fred and Bruno, not good enough on the ball. They're not. And they've got to be better. So they get paid a lot of money, Scott, and they are supposed to be good enough. And when you've taken the two main players out of the team, they said Sabitz has been at Man United two minutes. I actually thought he had a decent game. He's tidy. He's tidy, right? He's tidy. He was forced to play the six yesterday. He's more happy playing the eight. Um, he's actually more of an eight ten, like we saw shooting, didn't we? On the edge of the box, he had a good a good couple mm-hmm. of shots. I think that will prove productive over the weeks and months ahead. I think we will give us something, some value up there. As I said, his XG in the top end of the pitch is excellent. But if he's playing the number six, the players in the team, the eight and the ten, have to go and help him. Yeah, they have to make those passes easier and they have to make sure that they can trap a bag of cement when it's under their foot. But they can't. So we saw the first goal. Not going to go on a Bruno rant. I'm really not. Bruno gives the ball away. You can see the goal in 58 seconds. That's football. That happens. But even I think with the second ball, when the, the ball's coming out the box, second goal, Garnacho gives it away. The ball goes wide and Delo just needs to get tight. Get tight to your man. He stands off. The ball comes across, hits Varane, ends up in the net. You drop points. So a lot of this is very fixable. That's the difference. Like you look at these things, you think you can fix these things. But it does mean, Scott, that players personally have to take more responsibility. And the manager did actually have that quote as well. He went, the players need to take more responsibility in these moments. I 100% agree with that. Like we mentioned Savitzer there. He was neat and tidy, but obviously Casemiro is just, you know, his positioning, his know-how. I think it was just obviously massively missed. I think Savitzer will, once he's playing alongside Casemiro, will probably look um, look really the part. You can see he's neat and tidy. He's got good ball skills quite intense uh he, he does a lot of things well but i think it's just they they really lack that that person that 
that person in midfield. And you look at Fred, right? And we said this off camera. I think a few people have said it, but Fred is either brilliant or absolutely terrible. And there's no in between. Well, fifty-two million pound Fred, because I still have that in my head all the time <laughs> that he cost us fifty-two million pound, is probably more like twenty-two million pound Fred. That's I think more the level. When he's good, he's good. When he's bad, he's horrible. And I think the thing is in these situations that I think when he is a supporting actor, fine. In this kind of situation where he needs to take the lead role in the middle of the midfield and help run it and be more responsible, I think that's when you see his fallacy. So. You know, Sabitza himself came to the football club. Why? To cover Ericsson. But last night ended up having to cover Casemiro. That was the way it goes. And I understand why you have to do that. Again, in the weeks and months ahead, I expect Fred to be the guy on the bench and Sabitza to play the eight. Obviously, Casemiro the six. Bruno will stay as the 10, no doubt. And then you've got, I think, a more functional, cohesive midfield. Whereas last night, what was it? Dysfunctional fragmented, disjointed, every all the negative words that you don't really want to use about a midfield. It made it easy for Leeds. Leeds just pressed high. Leeds did their job. I don't think Leeds deserved a point overall, but you don't begrudge them either because they came to work and they came to give United a good game, and they certainly did. Um, it's something that, again, Tenhold's going to have to find ways that when rotation happens, and let's be honest, there was a lot last night, wasn't there? You know, right back, two midfield positions, centre forward position because you haven't got Martial. Then you're looking at the wide players swapping, which I think was a problem. Yeah, having that, Rashford that on the right, all of those tactical moves because he had to, he felt he had to make them contributed to that performance, I think. So six changes almost positionally. And yet we kind of entered the game with Victor Lindelof as defensive midfielder. And, and it's just, it was a mess because you haven't got the real numbers. You've got a deep squad, but only deep on paper. I think when you put it out on a football pitch, it becomes much much weaker so still things to work out and this is why we don't get too hot and high about title challenges and all of those things like if you come top four this year you've done really well with this squad you've built something and you can move forward with it but yeah let's get Casemiro back as soon as possible this is why I said that it was worth considering appealing because United effectively dropped three points yesterday and got one because Casemiro wasn't on a football pitch it was part part of it wasn't it I think if you had Casemiro there he doesn't have that suspension for three games. You now got to think about the next two games, Scott. Like, is that is Casemiro going to affect you a game? Well, of course he is. Not having him there will hurt if Fred doesn't do his job. If Bruno doesn't is not better on the ball in deeper positions, you've got to make sure that these boys are doing the work. Otherwise, you will drop points. Ellen Road will be a tough gig, but I actually think United will quite like being away from home. Yeah, same. That. And they'll play counter-press a little bit more and they'll play their game a little bit more. You can see Marcus is still hot in the box. Get the ball to Marcus Rashford. I think we should also say, Scott, as well, I think you look at Big Val, I think he's starting to have a little bit, few problems now. Like, it's only a short space of work, but you can see that the cutting edge isn't there in his game. He can help with the pressing, do that stuff. I thought we looked much better with Marcus as a nine last night in those moments. And what does that mean? Jaden Sancho's on a football pitch. Jaden can come into don't my ruin my. Don't ruin my... Uh, I'm setting you up. This is my assist. This is me chesting the ball, looking up, seeing Scott run in the box. I'm curling it towards the back post and you're going to do an amazing overhead kick and we're going to win the match. Jaden Sancho's back. <laughs> Jaden! <laughs> he pointed to his head as well after he scored. Uh, Eric Ten Hag has said it's on, like he's got the support of the coaches, he's got the support of yeah. the players, he's got the support of the, the, the... The way the fans have welcomed him back, welcomed him back has been really nice, lovely, yeah. great noise. And... 
the noise when he scored was amazing as well. It's just, I think it's just nice to see such a talented lad, you know, coming back into the mix, back into the fold. Cause he's had, a, he's had issues um, and it's on him now. And it feels like we're seeing in very, very small snippets, the, the start of uh, Jaden Sancho and what we knew he could maybe be. I know we're only looking at a game and a half or a game or what well, maybe even one game. I can't remember how much he played in the, the first time we saw him back. Uh, but he looks, he looks a little bit different, uh, and it's it's encouraging, right? Because he he he's so talented, you know. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I can't help but microanalyze plays, and I was microanalyzing <clears throat> with the proviso that you have to give them time to kind of make let it work it all out. So Jaden's been back two minutes. I agree with you. He's supremely talented. He's got all of that upside to his game that that can make you more potent in the final third. Seeing him come on yesterday. And kind of have to reboot United, you know, at that point in the game, 2-0 down, you're going to have to do something different. How do you make that work? I really liked how he played that channel. Why? Because he allowed Marcus to go inside and he allowed Luke Shaw to go outside. It meant United were just more potent. So do not be surprised if this is how United go forward, because I think that tactic worked really well. Um, I feel kind of a little bit bad for Garnacho. A lot of people criticising him. He did have one or two chances. One of them he certainly should have buried. And then there's the time he goes around the goalkeeper and then just kind of hits it at the defender. If you are then, listening to this, by the way, and you're criticising Garnacho, he's 18. You know, I sp- I'm just about to 18 say this. years old. Exactly. You can micro-analyse micro Garnacho, but what is the point? He's 18. So, you know, you're going to get games that are good and some games that are not. Always going to be better as a bench option this year for, for Garnacho. Always difficult when you start. Like I used to say Cavani, who's an old man, it was always totally different to when he came off the bench to when he started. When he started, he found it difficult because teams could set up against him a bit more. I think Garnacho has the same issue. He can't come on and be the difference maker. Um, but I think with Jaden Sancho, there's going to be a bit of that. You've got to reintegrate him back into the team. It just depends whether you play him on the left or the right. We don't know too much about Anthony at the moment, do we, about returning on the right-hand side. So that's going to play a big factor in this. But Jaden Sancho, I think, very, very soon is going to have to be a starter again. You know, 70, 80 million pound footballer. And, and he wants minutes. Like You can see he craves it. You know, he wants to be out there and helping. He's a different type of player, Scott. He's still maybe sometimes a little bit too slow in the transition, like he wants to cut in, he wants to think. But I think that will come. He'll get quicker. He'll play more United's pace. Only way to do that is to be on the pitch. You've got to be on the football pitch, haven't you? So he's available. He can do that. He can help Man United. And I think that you will see Marcus Rashford just naturally go into the nine a little bit more because Marcus cutting edge as a striker is just... Like that goal, that header yesterday. He's scoring goals we don't... Expect him to score, <laughs> you know. Was that not a Cristiano goal yesterday? Yeah, <laughs> up in the air, up like a salmon, and a proper header. Like that's that was a difficult technique to head that ball and find that bottom corner. Really, really tough skill, and people might not appreciate it. But I, I think Marcus adding those things to his game, the tap-ins, the headers, all of that. That does mean he could probably play as a nine more because that's what you want nines to do. Um, and I think Marcus struggled on the right all, all night at the start of the game. It was difficult for him because it's a different action coming doesn't in on look that right, side. Does it? it just... No, look, if you're a right right side, if you're a right footed player cutting in inside invertedly, like Anthony's supposed to do, it's really tough. It's a different. You, you want to go on the right side. You want to say you want to stay on your right foot and go in the channel. So. 
yeah, a, a tough gig for Marcus, but I think once he went in the centre, he was really good after that. I think he was, I think he gave Leeds enough to think about them for United to control the game and to possibly have gone on and win it. You know, United could have won it 3-2 if they took their chances. Yeah, unique position for United, given they now play the same game again mm. in a few days, but at the opposition ground. Uh, obviously, they've. it depends. If Leeds come out with a new manager by Sunday... Although it's Thursday and I've seen they've been rejected by two managers now. I think uh, <laughs> Carlos Corberan, I think, is one. Yeah. And Iriola from Rio is the other who turned them down so far. Yeah. So if they're their first two choices, I mean, it'd be, unless they miracle workers, be pretty difficult to get somebody in before Sunday. Yeah, there's no doubt, though, that that performance last night was all about, oh, we've lost our manager. We better just kind of do something now because we've got, we're, yes. we're, we're, we're all in the yeah. shop window. We've all, we've all had a rollicking. We, we've all seen now that Jesse Marsh is out the door. So we'll still play Jesse Marsh's tactics, but we'll just like maybe try a little bit more. <laughs> and that's kind of why they got a point last night. I think if Jesse Marsh had been in charge, they might have got beaten 3 0, played exactly the same way. Probably. Exactly, exactly yeah. the same tactics. And people would have gone, oh, they're not a very good team. But uh, yeah, they might have that new manager bounce if someone comes in. A difficult choice, though, because they are a pressing side who want to play on that front foot narrowly. But you, not every coach does that. So you've got to find a coach almost that fits the squad, not just someone that's going to rip it up and say, right, let's play 4-4-2, lads. Let's do this. You know, like, they'd struggle with the dice there. They would. Dice would not be able to take this set of players and maybe do what he's done at Everton in one game. And in the future game. So a difficult appointment for them. But, you know, kind of, you know, they've got that backroom team there that do know it. And that's what happened yesterday, isn't it? The kind of, you could see them on the sidelines there, kind of going, do this, lads, do that. And at the end of the one all, they were all a bit like, I feel like we've won this, you know, like we justified our positions. Unfortunately, I think that backroom team will probably get sacked in the next week. Weird to see Chris Armas <laughs> in a lead jacket. Um, the, the wonders his... of Chris Armas yeah. and playing counter-pressing football because they did counter-press well. They did. They they, they played United. I thought they played really. quite well. I thought. Yeah, they, they played high. Well. They played brave, and that's why they got their breaks. You know, an amazing good like first goal was a really great finish, of course. But again, United's fault. But they just kept themselves in the game, and that's probably something that Leeds haven't done for a number of weeks and months. So let's move on. United play Leeds on Sunday, but obviously the the big news this week is around finances in football, I guess, and finances in the Premier League. We've had the Manchester City story, which we'll, we'll unpack in a little bit, but we'll obviously talk now about the United ownership situation. So I'm just going to read an extract here from the Times. Uh, do two paragraphs. A fund linked to the Qatari royal family has expressed an interest in buying Manchester United with a bid now under consideration before next week's deadline for interested parties. Documents circulated by Rain, the New York bank managing the sale for the Glazer family, state that the potential buyers have until Friday, the Feb February the 17th, so that's next Friday, to table an offer with Qatari sources insisting the decision has not yet been made on whether to bid, but the same sources believe an offer could well be on the way. Uh, now, this, Rob, is... There's difficulties in, in rulings here because obviously there's a Qatari sports and Qatar sports investments own PSG, potential conflict of interest if uh, the same you know the same group are looking to take over Manchester United as well but from what we understand it is not the same group but obviously Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos are in the mix at the moment I don't think every uh, interested buyer interested party needs to publicly declare interest 
I don't, I don't believe that's the case, but it's, we've only really seen two for now. And this uh, Qatari royal, fa- a fun link to the royal, Qatari royal family is the second one. And obviously this brings up a lot of questions, right? Massively. And isn't it interesting that obviously this, this new story and this potential bid comes off the back of the issues happening at Manchester City as well. So you could say that there is a little bit of kidology going on here uh, with bigger uh, bigger factions than you and me, Scott, here, that you're, you're looking at two competing areas of the Middle East. We were at Qatar uh, competing, obviously, naturally with City's owners on all sorts of numbers of, of issues, and one with a positive news story and one with a negative. So there is that. As it said there in that report, they don't know whether they're actually going to put a bid forward. There is a, a, a common thinking theme here that the Glazers are a little bit perturbed by the lack of interest. Now, we've heard that for a few weeks, actually. It's not brand new information, that. But they're now trying to drum up interest. So there is also part of this about how true is this interest. It's very easy. Isn't it? I kind of go, if you are interested in Manchester United, you have to go to the Rain Group in New York, in America, submit your interest to be able to get access to the books. That's what's important here, to put that NDA forward. There is only one bidder so far who has done that. And that is Ineos and that is Jim Radcliffe. They're the only ones who've said we are willing to talk, we are willing to sign an, an NDA and look at the books and then make a decision. Qatar haven't done that yet, so let's see if they do. But of course, Manchester United are a natural target, aren't they, for, for anyone from the Middle East with that kind of money. It's just that whether they want to pay for the privilege. We just said there, Scott, is really, really important in this, is that they already own PSG. There would be a clear conflict of interest in the current rule book if they were to own Manchester United and PSG with them both being Champions League clubs. Someone said to me yesterday, but surely, you know, Red Bull have this with Leipzig and uh, and with their kind of the, the difference between Austria and Germany. But it's slightly different. They are set up slightly different, even though they come under the Red Bull moniker. It is not the same as having the same cash resource to run the football clubs because you've got the same name on it. But... As you said, there's a ton of questions to kind of go through. We'll try and address some of them today here with this. Do Manchester United need Qatar or does Qatar need Manchester United? I think it's the latter. I think Qatar needs Manchester United a lot more than the football club needs an owner from Qatar. Yeah, obviously, uh, Rob, you put a poll out on uh, your social medias and it was a Mm. bit of a split. Uh, Maybe you could talk about that in a second, but obviously... I think there is obviously, I think there's a a lot of fans look at someone like Jim Ratcliffe, the story of, you know, whether it's, I don't know how, you know, he's got a season ticket at Chelsea or has had the season ticket at Chelsea, but grew up as a United fan, this kind of thing, not the richest man in the world, but I feel like the intentions there would be to just put United on an even, even foot in, remove the debt, actually look at potentially renovating Old Trafford, whether that's to build a new stadium or whatever, um, and just get United on the right foot. And the argument is really, do United need an excess wealth such as the one they would get from the Qatar party who are looking at potentially buying the club? Do they need that to compete? Because I think if you plunged in that amount of money, I think United would go so, so far ahead of everybody else. You know, you look at what it's done to City, but you, you think... United are naturally up the top of revenues anyway, like top of the the revenue list of the big one of the biggest clubs in the world, if not the biggest, alongside like Real Madrid and and this kind of thing. Do they need it? 
Yeah, look, I, I think the thing is with football is that football is a machine obsessed with more, 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 more. So if you have more money, you buy bigger players, better players, you win more trophies. And that equation, of course, has been in place for many years. It's not new. It didn't come about with Middle East ownership or anything like that. It's always been like that. The richest owners buy the best players and you win. You know, so there is that 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 aspect. I do think the Manchester United had Qatari owners and access to that kind of wealth. Then, of course, they're going to be better than they have been in the last 10 years. But it's worth noting that it's happening at Newcastle. It's still happening at Man City. There's no doubt that if billionaires get involved in football clubs, you could have you know, someone like an Aston Villa come to the party or you could have a club like Brighton come to the party. It can happen if you pump in enough wealth. So whether they need it or not, I don't know is the question. It's about should you have it? I think that's a better question. You know, should we be encouraging this amount of capital into football and then believe that football still has values and a soul and represents the, the people? So football's always been sold as the game of the people in this country. That's what it is. We do know that in a wider aspect, that's not true. We know it's just a commercial machine for a lot of people and a lot of stuff. I think the whole thing with this bid and about Qatar potentially buying the football club, there is that conflict of interest with PSG, which I think is really important, but it's also about sports washing. So when we mention that word, people get edgy, don't they? Because there's a lot of people that think it's not real, that this is actually a load of billionaires in the Middle East going, well, we love football and we just want to be involved. We want to buy these clubs because we love Man United. I got tweeted so many times yesterday. But, you know, the Emir, he's, 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 he's a United fan. And I'm thinking, I've not seen him on the Stratford End recently. So, like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing point here about what do you really need and what football needs. So we need to talk about Man City because Man City are the route to what Man United would be. If Man United accept this bid, the Glazers get out of town, take their four, five, six billion, whatever. Manchester United are going to become Manchester City 2.0. Yeah. And that's what this show should be called, because that's exactly the model that they will use to become a successful team again. The question to United fans is, do you want to be Man City 2.0 or do you want to be Man United? And I think in terms of identity, that's a much more kind of concrete ideology than just saying what's sports washing and what's not sports washing. Man City fans will always know that they would won none of those trophies without that investment and without that kind of ideology being pumped into their club. And now they might get punished for it, Scott. They might lose all their titles. They might get relegated. And we know why. It's been the biggest open secret in football for years about how Man City have conducted their business. We've all known it. It's now coming to pass. Do we want to be answering those questions at Man United in 10 years' time? Do we want our titles taken off us? Do we want the credibility there's, of our there's football? A, there is a difference, though, between the, the, the sports-washing part of it and funneling money through the club that you don't declare, right? Absolutely. But the, the whole idea about sports-washing is the reason of why you're doing it, is that you're taking an entity in an enterprise like the Premier League and you are flexing. You're flexing your muscles for what reason? Well, you're not flexing it just because you want to win football matches. I'm sorry, you're not. You're doing it for all the financial gain. And all. And sports washing, in a nutshell, is about washing your reputation, isn't it? Win a load of football matches, people forget what we're doing over here. That's the idea. But there comes a whole load of things with that, Scott, with finance. So it's not, it's not wise of us to sit here and talk about Man City in every detail of what we do know. 
But the bits we do know is that they have a ton of commercial questions that they never wanted to answer. And we also know that there's big recycling of money within the power base of all of their ownership and their families. And that is not good for football, is it? Because it's using Man City as a vehicle. A lot of City fans, Scott, who just don't care. There's a lot of United fans who just don't care. But do you want United to be at the mercy of that? I think United are a private football club. Keep the team in the private sector and keep it away from nations. Don't have anything to do with governments. Have that as a strict rule. That includes the UK government. That includes the US government. That includes China. That includes Russia. It's not a thing about the Middle East, people say to me. It's racism. It's brown people being in charge of white industries. Not at all. Give me a brown owner every day of the week. Look at the colour of my skin. You know, I'd be fine with that. Give me Lewis Hamilton. Someone said that the other day. I was like, yeah, I'd have Lewis, you know, as part of our football club. Of course, he's black, by the way. So it's not a thing about race. This is about business and about how you're run and why you're run in a certain way. No doubt, Scott, we'd have a better chance of signing Mbappe with the Qantari involvement, wouldn't we? That's not why I get out of bed every morning. That's not why I love football. It's not why I love Man United. Uh, yeah, that's going to be the pathway if you take that that's... ownership on. But there's so many other questions. We could talk about the some of the kind of values from the Middle East and what's happening there with... LGBTQ. We could talk about how women are uh, treated out uh, in the Middle East. We could talk about their laws compared to our laws. No point, is it? We do all put Saudi Arabian oil in our cars. And I don't feel guilty about that because I don't have a choice about where that oil comes from. That's not my problem. That's not your problem. It's not our viewers' problems. But this is our football club. This is ours. This is ours. It belongs to us. So we have to have a say. And we have to say, why we feel these things, even though ultimately we do not make those choices. I suppose you mentioned Mbappe there as well, Rob. I mean, mm. I don't, I don't even want that really. Like, I, I don't. Yeah, the, we've no. seen that the reason why I know that like people will leverage it. Oh, you signed Casemiro for sixty million quid. You bought all. You spent all this money on Anthony and this kind of thing. But that's to build the foundations of a team. It's not to go and like one thing that United have done completely wrong in the last 10 years is buy players on based on names. I know Mbappe is probably the one of the greatest, if not the best player in the world. But there's a difference between building a team and buying names. And I, I ultimately, I, th- I suppose what I want to see, you know, what in, happens to United moving forward is I'd like to see them on an even keel, debt wiped clean, sustainably moving forward like upgrading the the facilities and this kind of thing and having a team on the pitch that represents the club and represents the traditions and represents like you see how united have had a, a youth player in their squad for 80 80 odd years right i can't remember exactly how how long it is but mm. the tradition is such an important thing and i think to kind of i just feel like that there's with jim ratcliffe that that is there's more of a chance of that being protected yeah, and you know what? There's all sorts of things that Jim Ratcliffe needs to answer. So, like, Ineos have questionable environmental policies, and that's quite a big thing. On the flip side of it, he's trying to invest in kind of driverless cars in the future, and he wants to do that. But we can't, like, we can question these things. But there's a difference, isn't there, between, like, company policies and human rights? Like there is a difference. There's a difference between something that's in the business sector and something that's actually law. So, you know, we've had this debate about Qatar all the way before the World Cup, through the World Cup for the last five years. And we come out the other side and people say, oh, it's the best World Cup of all time. 
what was it? I don't know. Like, so this is the whole thing about it is that a lot of this is spin. But I also think I want to talk about this, Scott, just as, as, a, as a United fan, right? And we talked last week, didn't we, a little bit about the Busby Babes. You know, it was the anniversary. We talked on the last show about what that meant. I explained that I'm kind of like third generation United. My, my kids are fourth generation United. I can only talk from my own perspective as a season ticket holder who's been going to Old Trafford his whole life. Yeah, I don't want to get out of bed every day and think every signing, every victory, every bit of success that Man United have is going to be questioned because of these things going on in a far part of the place in the world. I don't want that for my football club. Now, I understand that Manchester United is a global entity and I understand we have a billion fans and I understand that there are fans in Australia and America and South America and the Antarctic who love United just as much as me and you. I get that. But as someone who goes to Old Trafford every week and stands next to men and women, yeah, people, I stand next to gay people, I stand next to people who are feminists, I stand next to all sorts of people, there's bigger questions at play here, aren't there? So this is what I, why I'm talking about it from this angle. I know the business sector doesn't care about that, and there's plenty of investment from those parts of the world. No problem with that. This is not about being against a sect or a race or anything like that. This is about what do we want for the health of Manchester United? Would it be healthy for us? Well, yeah, we'd win trophies, but are we not going to always have this hanging over our head? And if they operate the club like they operate Man City, then there's got to be even bigger questions, isn't there? What if the Old Trafford becomes the, you know, Qatar, visit Qatari National Stadium, yeah, or something like that, which is on the table, like we've seen in this country. You know, we have the Emirates, we have the Etihad. Well, those clubs probably shouldn't have that sponsorship, probably shouldn't be allowed because the Etihad have family links to the owners. And yet that goes on their balances and their books as revenue. So these things do matter. How much fans care about them is a completely different thing because my Twitter is like a war zone. I just I, I try not to reply to everyone. So I apologize if you've messaged me on there and obviously written me a tweet and I haven't responded because as soon as you respond anything, it just becomes so toxic and so horrible with this debate. I do understand there's a lot of people who just say, get rid of the Glazers and give us new owners. And I, I, I want the Glazers out as much as anyone. But I don't want the wrong owners. I really don't. So Jim's not perfect, but I think he gives us a route towards a better sustainable model at Manchester United. You don't need 60 billion to kind of run a football club. You need a few billion. Other clubs do, maybe. Perhaps other, other clubs, clubs do. do. I don't think Man, well, Man City do. did. Man City did. Man City needed that kind of money when they were a team bobbing around in the championship. Because that's what they were beforehand. PSG were a much less successful team. They needed that money. Newcastle haven't won a trophy for 50 years. 500 billion comes into the football club. You might win the League Cup against Man United at Wembley. It happens. That's what they do. That's why they're happy. Do we need that at Man United? Do we need that at this football club? I'm not quite sure we do. And I don't think that people at Old Trafford overall want that. You know, I talk to a lot of people at United, obviously. Most fans, I think, at games just do not feel it. They're like, we just want our own money. We just want to be able to compete on Manchester United's level. One last thing about Sir Jim, because a lot of people say he's not rich enough because i think even you said it there he's not rich compared to his company made 48 billion pounds last year he's got money his friends have got money he could put together a consortium every bit as powerful as any other it's just it's a case of what do man united need to win don't take nice as an example as a failing entity because nice is a different football club and he had to do many different things there that he simply wouldn't have to do at man united we took over at our football club now he's already got a really good manager with a pretty good squad that's performing, but 
can't beat Leeds without Casemiro. But then you go and find that in the transfer market going forward, don't you? I feel good about Man United at the moment, Scott. These things do not make me feel good about my football club. Realise this is probably going to be quite a decisive, uh, divisive uh, topic. Of course. Obviously. Um, and social media is there for everyone to have their opinion. The comment section as well. Uh, underneath this, if you if you want to have your say, leave a comment for us as well. Please get do. in touch with us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show as well. This one, obviously, as we, as we mentioned there, there is no, I don't think there's a formal bid yet as we speak, um, but we have just over a week now for these you know declarations to come in and then we'll probably mm. move on to the next chapter. Remains to be seen whether this will move forward any further, but I think this is an inevitable conversation that we had to have at some point because this would be an inevitable thing that was going to happen as soon as Man United went up for sale. Anyway, uh, yeah, get in touch with us and we'll do... Just a quick bit on Man City before we go as well. Mm-hmm. Touched on them already. Uh, but like we said there, Rob, I mean, you know, the I think the issue here, the, the fact that they've been charged by the Premier League for 115 counts of various things. A lot of it boils down to not reporting their financials properly or funneling money into the club through, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think we've, if you if you use Twitter, You've probably seen the sponsors that Man City have that have nobody working for them that funnel hundreds of millions of pounds in. I'm sure you've seen the leaked contracts or the leaked emails that have uh, come out since the the football leaks uh, spill came out a few years ago. Obviously, uh, City have been to court with UEFA, uh, but the Premier League this week made news by uh, on Monday coming forth with 115 charges, I believe. Uh, from Man City not cooperating with uh, investigations and this kind of thing, and not giving up their uh, giving up their books or giving up giving the ability for them to go and look at some of these emails that have happened. Uh, it's just like you said earlier, Rob. This has been something that City have been suspected of for several years, and the thing for me, I suppose, that is the big red flag that just doesn't make any sense is the fact that City have been top of the Deloitte Money League for two years in a row. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Like, what? How does this? Obviously, we've done a bit on like City 2.0, but your gut feeling, what what happens to City here? Because this is, oh, this is going to take months, if not years, right, to come out. But it's just never been. It's never been something that sat right. It it just doesn't make any sense. And obviously, there's a lot of stuff out there that suggests that they haven't played by the rules exactly. Allegedly, but obviously this is all alleged at the moment and City uh, have their position that they're not guilty, that they'll cooperate, but this will drag out. Of course, this is all alleged. This is all allegations and we have to treat it from that angle, especially kind of in our industry. So, I, you know, you're saying what should happen and what will happen. I think what will happen is obviously it's become a, a long kind of litigation case. Manchester City will defend themselves with every bit of might that they have, all the billions they have in the bank, they will fight this. There's a slight difference here with maybe the UEFA case and, the, and with, the, with the governing bodies, is that this, if this goes to a court of law, it's different to the arbitration kind of court where you, it's much lower bar to prove your innocence, stuff like that. So this is no doubt going to end up as a legal case. As you said, over 100 counts of what basically is fraud. This is what they're being accused of. They have fraudulently run their business 
through this time period and that fraud has facilitated trophies. That's the truth. And the thing was, we <laughs> there was this awareness very early on, very early on in Manchester City stewardship. We kind of knew that this thing, these things do not make sense. Your revenues cannot be this high when you're not actually taking that money. And when you look at kind of match day receipts and global monies and kit sponsors, all that stuff, you add it all up and you think, well, how are you the richest club in the world? Does it actually make sense? You've got the richest owners. We know that. But you can't funnel your money into a club like that. You can put some money in, but you can't pretend that you're not doing it, but that you are. We knew that. So this is a problem. This is a thing that's why we talk about sports washing so in depth, because it's been happening in plain sight for a long time. All that's happened now, Scott, is that their chickens are coming home to roost. That's just where we are with it. What's my personal opinion on it? My personal opinion is that they should they are guilty and they are found guilty. They should be stripped of every title that they've won in that time period. Would you pass it on? Well, this, I, I think you wipe the seasons personally. I think you wipe the seasons and I'm not going to celebrate Man United winning two extra titles because, <laughs> because it, it, it was, you know, there's, uh, you know, they won it and then they didn't. I've seen obviously a lot of chat about, oh, but moments of history like the Aguero moment, you can't eradicate that. Well, no, you can't eradicate it. But, but it would have been the, built on a lie. You can tell the truth about it. Like maybe Sergio Aguero should never have played any of his career at Manchester City because he should not have been given that opportunity through those roads. So that's a problem, isn't it? It's like a much bigger question than a goal going in the net or lifting a trophy. So I think they should be stripped of their trophies. I think that is the right and proper thing to do that if you're found guilty. And I also think you should have current penalties and future penalties. So a points deduction this year and relegation. That's it. That is the way it should be. You have to throw the book at these problems because it's fraud. If you are cheating to win trophies, you have to have the biggest punishment possible. You know, if you commit murder, you go to jail for a long time. That's the way that people's idea of it is. Now, is this equivalent? Of course not. But in football terms, you've done everything you can to bend and change the system in your favour. So that's the problem here with Manchester City. I don't want Man United to be Man City 2.0. I don't want to have to have these conversations in the year 2033, Scott, on our podcast where we're even more old and grey going, oh, no, look, we won four titles in that time, but now we can't celebrate them anymore. You know, oh, my God. It's horrific for Man City fans. I feel sorry for City fans. I really do. Half of my family are blue and half of my family are red. Yeah, from Manchester. I feel sorry for my cousins and all. I really do because... They have to live with this. This is their lives and they love that football club. That's the other bit of this. Do you get what I mean? That connection with the fans and the football club and and football and sport being taken in fraudulent direction. Sports washing is fraud. That's why we don't want it. That's why we don't want it in our sport. That's why we question it. And I think Man City as well, the other side of this, Scott, is that they are found guilty. There should be a compulsory purchase order that these owners have to sell. They cannot be involved in football anymore. They need to be banned for life from football because they broke the rules. They didn't bend them. They broke them. 120-odd charges. Let's see where it goes. Because they will fight for their lives. They'll, want, they'll still want their piece of the, the pie from football. They want to be in the Premier League for their own reasons. Let's see where it goes. Might well be a few years, though. Like I don't think this gets done in a week or month. People are saying next month, next week. Or you, might, you get might get a verdict come down in a few months, but then that'll be fought tooth and nail, right? Yeah, I think that there will be a verdict. And I think that... that it's questionable whether they'll have titles stripped, but let's be honest. If you have won it through, is it nine seasons of fraud? Like nine, you have yeah. To, nine. You have to look at that. Two thousand and nine, ten. 
yeah, you have that nine seasons and you have to remove all of the money that they earned from that in terms of winning trophies, because you earn money from winning trophies and remove the trophy. That's got to be the immediate punishment. So I think that might be where it starts. But I do also think the Manchester City should be relegated to the championship or maybe even another division. Yeah, maybe even League One. Now, people might think that that's over the top and that I'm a United fan and that's why I'm saying that. Not at all. I think the crime has to fit the punishment on this one. And we have to make sure that if you're prosecuted, and this is a fraudulent case now, if you are prosecuted, you should be nowhere near the Premier League. You should be expelled. and You should be out of the division. And, I, and if it was Man United, I'd be saying the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Man United was, you know, I mean, I said this before, I've followed Juventus my whole life as well. I think Juventus should be punished completely. And, and, and I, Juventus, I have my preference in Italy that I don't feel about Juventus as I do for Man United. But if Man United were privy to this, I'd be saying, yep, take the titles off us, relegate us, we start in League One again, and we just have to do that and swallow it as fans. But that's not our fault, is it? You know, that's not on us. You know, that's on the ownership and we shouldn't have those owners in football. Uh, it's again not a question about geography Scott it's not about where an owner's from it's about what an owner intends to do with a football club and ultimately then what they do with it it's not just about signing Neymar and Mbappe I don't want Man United to be that football club yeah I mean on City I think it's either going to be they get off completely or they get punished severely and I don't think there's any in between if they don't get punished at all then I think it's I don't see how that can happen. I, I, I really don't. But, you know, it's, these are all alleged charges, but I think it's been happening in plain sight for a, for a while. So Absolutely. it was a bit of a surprise, actually. I mean, I knew this investigation was going on. It's been four years. Four years, yeah. But it just it's caught me out completely out of the blue, like most people. I do think that there is some kind of common link here between uh, the government and obviously UK authorities trying to implement some potential arbitration in sport where you have an independent panel which looks after football and has the moral fibre of football with the financial side and actually puts more out there. I do think the Premier League are trying to display here that they're in control of their house. Yeah, so this is what this is. that They've now gone, oh, we probably should have done this two, three, four years ago because we've had the evidence, but we've sat on it and we've not done it. And we've kind of wanted the money from the Middle East and we've wanted ownership from other parts of the world with questionable regimes. But now we have to make a stand and we're going to do it against Man City. So there is that here. And that might ultimately go against the Premier League in a court of law because that can be used against them, the timing. Uh, but we do need, don't we, an independence in football. We do need a panel that looks after the health of the game because football is a really unhealthy place at the moment. And I would go as far as saying that things like sports washing are a cancer of our game. They really, really are. They, they're, they're something that we can't get rid of willingly. We have to start making some progressive decisions to staying away from that type of money and that type of fraud. That is going to be it for us today. Uh, a fun plenty, one. Plenty a cheery of meat on one. the bone here. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we got to wrap it. We'll be back uh, next week. Tuesdays and Fridays, we usually do the show. Uh, YouTube, Apple, Google, Spotify, catch us wherever you want, whether that's on video or via audio. Uh, today's video, like, subscribe, join the community on YouTube and leave a comment. There's plenty of like, expecting a few comments today uh, because there are some pretty big topics uh, at the point of discussion. Follow us on Twitter too, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. United play Leeds again on Sunday. Hopefully three points coming up in the immediate future. Um, but plenty of long-term questions at play at the moment. And I don't think these will be going away at any time soon, but this has been the promised land. 
Thanks very much for listening and or watching, everyone. We'll see you very soon. Get in touch with us and let us know what you think. Thanks very much for listening and thanks very much for watching. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.